begin a new series of sermons I've entitled uh, Why Church. It's a five-week sermon series. Uh, it's really our stewardship season, and so this is our stewardship series for uh, this year. We will have Commitment Sunday on February 11th, um, but I'm not going to really talk about money as much as I like to talk about money because I think it's so important. Uh, we're not going to really talk, focus on that. We're going to fo focus on who we are as a church. And why church? You know, uh, in this time when so many people are leaving the church, you know, 30 to, in most churches, 30 to 50%, uh, we've seen a 30 to 50% decline in church attendance, worship attendance since COVID. So people have left and there's declining membership. So why spend time? Why give money also? in your lives in some ways to a church? It's a really good question. And uh, I remember reading a, an interview with Bill Gates um, a number of years ago and he said, you know, I don't, I don't think spending Sunday morning in church is really a good use of my time. And it's obviously a lot of people feel that way. So what is it about a church that makes us different? that makes it worth us giving so much of our lives to. Um, and here, I'll just play my cards. I still believe that when a church is living out the vision that God has for the church, there are not too many better things in life. You know, when people are loving each other as Christ has loved them, when people are... Uh, making a difference, when a church is making a difference in the world, when people are growing in their faith and being transformed by the power of, of the Holy Spirit, when there's active and uh, inspirational worship, when people are using their gifts and discovering who they are and growing in Christ's likeness, man, I don't, I don't think there's too many things better, to be honest with you. And I feel like I've been fortunate enough to be part of churches that are really living out Christ's vision of the church. So I believe there are huge benefits, obviously, what I've done with my life, <laughs> to belonging to a church. And so every week we're going to look at a, a different part of the church and in the midst of doing that, I also want to share with you some of our vision of who we are as a church and where we are going. You know, we are in the midst of transition. Started three years ago, <clears throat> and it will continue. We are continuing to transition. You know, when I interviewed for this job, I told the committee, you know, if you want to survive and you want to grow and thrive, you're going to have to go through a lot of change as a congregation. And we've experienced some, but there's, it's not over. And we're going to experience more, and it's going to be ex exciting. So I'm going to share some specific things that we want to do as a church in this coming year. I also want you to know that we are uh, forming a small committee to take a look at where we want to be in three years. In terms of program, in terms of ministries, in terms of staffing, in terms of finances, in terms of what we want to do with our buildings and our facility kind of take a whole look at what we want as our preferred future. 
And so we will be working on that, and we will share that with you. Um, one of the things we really want to accomplish is for many years we have drawn upon our reserves to balance our budget every year, and we don't want to do that anymore. So one of our goals is to become financially healthy. So we don't have to do that. We can spend those reserves on new initiatives or mission opportunities. So today I want to begin this series by looking at the, what is worship? What do we do here on Sunday mornings? Uh, and really, you, you'll find out the rest of the week. Appropriate to begin here because worship is the heart of the church. It's the engine that drives everything else. It's the center of our life together. And in worship, what happens here, which is really pretty miraculous, our life is formed. Who we are as a church is really formed. It, it is the prime, primary purpose of the church. So I want to look at a great text on worship. It's Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. You know, um, you could preach weeks for the, on this just these two verses. I know Martin Lloyd-Jones, a notable pastor in England in the last century, once wrote 10 sermons on uh, just these two verses, but I will try to do it today in one. So pray for me. <laughs> so here it is. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, and um, Lord, that we would hear you, that our ears and our minds and our hearts would be open to what you have for us, both as individuals and as a current congregation. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. You know, uh, I'd like to change the title of my sermon today from what you were created for to the essence of worship. I know you can't change the bulletin once it's written, but I'm going to do it today. <laughs> so this is about the essence of worship. And I want to make some observations from this text, obviously. But first, I want to make just one observation. And you've heard this before, but I could say it every week. We are made to worship God. We are designed to worship God. We have been created to give our lives to God. And if we don't do that, we will miss out on what life is really about, what we've been created to do, what we've been wired by God to do. Now, you can just take a look at human beings, and you can see that we are made to worship. I've told you before about our family's place in Montana, and uh, it overlooks Flathead Lake, this huge lake in northwest Montana, and the property kind of goes up like this, and uh, at the very top of the hill, you have a view of the whole lake, all 50 miles. It's amazing. And I loved going up there, and there's an outcropping of rock, and 
I love sitting up there. My dad, who was not a religious guy at all, would often say, you know, up here you just kind of feel like God comes up and sits right, right next to you. It's a thin place for me, <laughs> where heaven and earth come very close together. And from that rock, I can see eagles flying. And, you know, when I look at those eagles and how they're designed and how amazingly they catch these air currents and just, just kind of coast up there in the air flow, I, I, I can look at them and go, wow, God did not design those things to 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 swim, God designed eagles to fly. God has designed us to worship. And you can see that. All you had to do yesterday was watch a football game where a bunch of crazy people, probably 70,000 people, sat in sub-zero, no, I don't know if it was sub-zero, but it was very cold in Kansas City, right? It was a worship service. We witnessed this, this summer, Taylor Swift, all those little Swifties. It was kind of like a worship service for some of them. And next week when the Niners play, we're going to see a bunch of our neighbors and maybe some of us worshiping the 49ers. We're going to give our lives to something. We're going to serve something, somebody. The question is, what? What do we worship? And is what we worship worthy of our worship? And is what we worship able to give us all that we want from it? Good question. So my first observation, and it's really not um, from this text, but I want to start with this. We will worship something. And so Paul is urging us in these verses, therefore I urge you. And he's urging us to worship God. And here um, is the reason for worship, right in the front. Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of Romans giving us this amazing summary of the gospel, the good news. It is his magnum opus, an amazing book, where he talks about who God is, who we are, the nature of humankind, salvation, redemption, new life. It's all covered, very theological. And then he comes to this verse, chapter 12, verse 1. We call it a hinge verse. So there's the theology. Now he's going to say, okay, in light of this, this is how you live your life. And the rest of the book of Romans is that. So there's almost, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, it's there for a reason. It's referring to what comes prior. And in this case, it is the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God, how God has treated us and will continue to treat us. So in other words, Paul is saying, look, in light of all that God has done for us, in view of his amazing grace, in view of how he treats us with mercy and understanding and compassionate, here is the reasonable and appropriate response 
offer your life to God. Worship God. This is true worship. It comes out so clearly. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the New Testament, the message, he says it really well. He says, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's the essence of worship. That's what we do here on Sunday morning. Offering our lives to God. Worship is loving God. And the primary way we demonstrate that love is by surrendering our lives to him, serving him, giving our lives to him. Like I said before, this is our primary purpose in life. It's responding to the grace of God. You see, when we truly understand, when we get the gospel, then this is what we do. It's, you know, when Paul says later on in these verses, this is your, your act of sacrifice, it's reason really, it, this is a reasonable thing to do. And this is the why, really, of the Christian life. You know, the why of the Christian life is really distinctive from, from all other religions because it's a response. We don't give our lives to God. We don't offer our lives to God out of duty or out of guilt or out of shame or out of fear. We respond to his love. We respond to what God has already done. We love because what? He first loved us. So important to get that right. We freely respond out of our decision to respond to God's love. And because of that, we have power in our lives. That empowers us. Love is a powerful motivator, is it not? The most powerful motivator. And so Paul uses this very interesting illustration to communicate to us what it means to respond, what it looks like. He says, because of God's mercy, here is what you should do. You should offer your lives as a living sacrifice. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, Paul is writing to a group of people who are very familiar with uh, sacrifices. Many of them are coming from Roman cults or they're Jewish with the Old Testament, which very much is about sacrifices. And they take these sacrifices to the altar. A lamb or a dove, and it's killed. Or a burnt offering. But they're guilt offerings. They're trying to appease the gods. Still, religions all over the world do this. They're trying to appease the gods, trying to get on their good sides. Instead of guilt offerings... We give praise offerings, thanks offerings. And so Paul says, and this is the picture he gives us, it's no longer a dead animal, but you take yourself, your whole self, and you climb up on the altar <laughs> and give yourself to God. Now don't climb back off of there. 
And you're not dead, thank God for that. You're a living sacrifice, a living offering. And we must do it over and over and over again. This is the Christian life. And we bring our whole selves. Paul is very concrete here. You know, the Jews, or in, in the first century, most of the religions downplayed the body. Material was bad. It was just spiritual. But Paul is very concrete here. He says, take your whole selves, your bodies, everything, and place it on the offering. So this is really great news. We bring our hopes, our fears, our failings, our insecurities, our doubts, our victories, our contradictions, our sorrows, our happiness, all of it, our true selves, not the pretended selves, but the true selves, completely honest, completely authentic, transparent, not the pretended self. And we give it to God, and here's the amazing thing. God sees it as holy and pleasing because of what Christ has done. Now, my reply to Mr. Gates would be, you know, I don't think that's a waste of time. To have someone, some place where you can be totally honest and transparent and real and be met with love and acceptance, that is transforming. Changes us. And this is what happens in worship. And Paul says it, life is transformed in worship. As a result of worship, we are transformed. As we worship God together, as we focus our attention on God and sing praises and come into his presence with prayer and listen to the, the word and sing songs, all that, you know, it's really amazing what God brings together in a worship service. You know, when you think about it, if somebody who had never been to a worship service sat in here today, they would think, what in the heck is going on? This is crazy. These people are bowing their heads and they're standing up and they're sitting down and they're listening to these guys wearing funny outfits and, you know, the whole thing. It's so, it's so different. Very foreign. You know, I, I read a statistic one time that 60% of kids under 12 have never been to worship. They don't know what the heck is going on. I saw it on Christmas Eve. We had a group of people who I, I think were not church people and man, when the offering plate came around, they didn't know what, what, what is this thing? But God uses all of it, and he transforms us, and we become new people, and we see things differently. We begin to discern what is real and true. You know, most of you are probably familiar with Plato's famous analogy of the cave. Help me think about this. And this is what Plato said. He said, suppose a man is born in a cave and spends his entire life tied to a post facing the wall at the rear of the cave. He cannot look to the right or to the left, only forward, and the light comes from the opening of the cave and shines on the wall before him. And it's kind of dim, right? 
and occasionally people and animals walk by, and as they do, their shadow is cast on the wall, right? These shadows in the dim light on the wall are all he ever knows of reality. That's it. And to him, they are reality. To speak of a world outside the cave, made of color and dimensions, would be incomprehensible to him. To worship God is to peek at the world outside of our caves. Our cave is the world that Paul talks about in these verses. And it's the worldly system of values and uh, worldview and human pride. And it's all temporary. And it's artificial in some days, some ways. In some way, it, someday it will fade, but it exerts great pressure on us to conform. J.B. Phillips, in his translation, said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Do you ever feel like you're being squeezed by the media and by all the other things? And I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm saying it's not always true about what's important in life. See, I think it's here where we hear about the truth about God and who God is and how God moves in our lives and who we are and what love is all about. We begin to see the world through God's eyes. I got a great email from a member of our congregation this week. It was really encouraging to me. He said, Steve, it was great to be in worship this week. Great reset to begin the week learning about the important things of the gospel, like love and forgiveness and grace. That's what happens in worship. And when we worship, we begin to see this. We begin to see the world as it really is. Not all at once, but week after. And see, this is why it's so important to come to worship. Because week after week, month after month, decade after decade, year after year, decade after decade, don't skip the years, decade, it transforms us. It gives us a foundation to life. I always tell, often tell new members in a new members class, you know, coming to worship, it's, it's like adding a brick to your foundation every week. Sometimes, you know, the sermon is boring. Sometimes, well, not in this church, sometimes the music's not very good. But, you know, God uses it all. And God transforms us. He makes us into people who more reflect the image of Jesus Christ. And we grow in things like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And here's the last thing I'll say. We do this, when we do this, we can do it every day, every minute of our lives, not just here on Sunday mornings. All of life becomes worship. 
Because worship is essentially offering our whole lives to God. We can do it all week. We are not done with worship when we leave this place. This is what I call the church gathered. And we worship as the church gathered. And then the rest of the week, we worship as the church scattered. But we're still offering our lives to God. We're still loving God through our work. You know, you can worship God by changing a diaper or caring for a sick loved one or re replacing a fuel pump or harvesting uh, wheat or designing software or having coffee with a friend. So we come here, we hear the truth, and then we're sent out to worship God all during the week. And about six days is about enough, and then we need a reset, don't we? And so we come back. Now, let me quickly tell you what our vision is in terms of worship for our church. One of the new initiatives that we'll be working on this year and that we hope to launch in the fall is a second worship service. One of our goals as a church has been, since I got here, is to work out, reach out to another generation and for us to be an intergenerational church to have people of all ages be part of our church. Next Gen is definitely a big piece of that effort, but a second big piece is a worship service that is different from this one. We keep all the same things, you know, how we worship, why we worship, the reason for worship, all those things stay the same, but the form may, may change. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. We don't know where we're going to hold it. <laughs> but it's going to be different, and we're going to design it to try to reach people who aren't here yet. Um, one of the reasons we're doing this is we need a second service so that many people who volunteer over there can also come to worship. It's going to be, we're going to try to appeal to a different segment of the population. But here's one of the values we really want to keep. We want to do what we do in an excellent way. You know, it may look different. It may feel different. We may use more technology. It may use different music. It may be in a different place. It may not be in here. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but the staff's going to work on this for the next few months. We'll get input from you. Um, but whatever we do, we want it to be done well. And Steve and I have been in constant conversation about this already. We see maybe elements of the two services being interchanged and uh, maybe music that we use in here can we can use over there and, and music that is used in this service or in that service could be used in this service but it's going to be a huge undertaking this is the biggest step so far that we're going to take as a church it's going to take all of us to really get involved and to pray and to pitch in um, and it's somewhat of a risk. I told Don, wow, what if you, you know, build a new worship service and no one comes? 
it will not be like the last early service that we had. There will be music. It will be a full service. It's going to be different. It will be our second service. So the staff will work on this plan, and then we'll take a proposal to the Board of Trustees, and at that time we'll let you all know if they approve it, we'll go forward with it. Um, it's risky. No doubt. I'm kind of nervous about it. <laughs> but I've led other churches through this, and I've seen what can happen to a church. It can bring new life to a church. It can bring new people into the church that would never come to our church now. I always think back to that uh, title of that book, you know, you, you can't walk on water until you step out of the boat. And I, I think it's time for us to step out of the boat if we're going to uh, thrive as a church in the future. So pray for us. It's exciting. It's risky. But that's kind of what faith is about, isn't it? Amen? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for what you are doing in and through our church. And Lord, we pray that this is not just of us, but that your hand is in it, that we can discern your will for us uh, regarding this second service. And we pray that it would reach out to people that um, may never come to this worship service for whatever reason. Lord, guide us and help us and pull us together. Please uh, don't let this divide our church, but rather pull us together in a new exciting vision. And God, we offer ourselves to you. May we be people who worship you, not just on Sunday morning, but every minute of our lives. This reasonable act of worship. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.